This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is July uh, the 22nd, 2020. This is episode 2694 of the Survival Podcast. I have a returning guest today. She's one of my favorite people. Her name is Natalie Bogwalker. She is the founder, or one of the founders, of a thing called Wild Abundance, which is an online school that teaches all kinds of stuff about building and tanning and permaculture, put it, permaculture putting up food, uh, you name it, it's, it's all there, and really, really high-quality instruction. And she's here today to talk about her new course. And, you know, me, whenever I bring someone to talk about, like, a thing they have as a product, we talk more about the subject than the thing. So we're going to talk about her new course on uh, gardening that's available online. And it'll be a great course if you want to take it and learn more. But we're going to talk about gardening as a whole today. And that's only a little piece of the total talk. So as always, I strive to make sure that TSP is never an infomercial for a thing. And today will be no different. Natalie is one of these people. She says she's the bog walker, but she should be called the talk walker. Because she's one of the people that doesn't just talk about it, she does it. She walks the talk on a daily basis and has for years and has gotten incredible things done. And I think you'll really enjoy hearing from her today about food security and growing your own nutrient-dense food. And on that, I want to start out with another one of my favorite people. God's also been on the show a couple times. And just one of the greatest people in the world when it comes to the topic of food security. And one of the greatest people in the world when it comes to actually spreading the addiction of producing your own food and doing it in a wholly natural way, and that is Joel Salatin. And when Joel Salatin was speaking about food security one time, and the, the, it's a long quote, so I have a little bit shortened version of it on the website with a graphic, but here's the full quote of, of what Joel said. Food security is not in the supermarket. It's not in the government. It's not at the emergency services division. True food security is the historical normalcy of packing it in during the abundant times, building that in-house larder, and resting easy knowing that our little ones are not dependent on next week's farmer's market or the electronic cashiers at the supermarket. Neither nor. So even though we're big on local food and things like that in this community, if you're dependent on the local producer, you're still dependent on somebody else. And I don't think that's bad. I mean, if it wasn't for that level of, of commerce, Joel Salatin wouldn't have a business. So we're not talking about not ever having to get anything from anywhere else. What we are talking about is building enough, enough of a reserve up during times of plenty, where that, whether that abundance be that the local producers have plenty right now and it's very affordable, or we've produced it for ourselves in a garden and being under, you know, understanding the innate behavior of humans, the complete normal behavior of humans that existed for most of humanity, to while that time exists, putting that food up in a storable manner for ourselves so that we know that we can feed ourselves and our children and we can even feed our neighbor rather than be a burden on our neighbor if we come into a time of scarcity, which many people found themselves in some scarcity uh, during the recent pandemic lockdowns. So uh, this should be fresh on everybody's mind. And the people that were the most relaxed as we came into spring and it started to have shortages, were the ones with food stored up and a garden in the backyard. And we're going to be talking to Natalie a lot about that. Before we do, let me remind you, like if you like this show and you want to support us, 
The best way to do that is become a member of what's called the Members Support Brigade. If you're new around here, it's a very uh, innovative program. I came up with it a long time ago. There's a lot of people out there doing the same thing now. I kind of did it before most people did it, uh, at least in, in, in this space, in, in the world of, of survivalism and, and permaculture and everything else. The way the membership program works is you pay a fee a year. It's $50 a year. And then you get a login to a private website. And then one of the pages, there's a lot of other cool stuff on the, in, in the private website, but one of the, the most valuable pieces is a page with a bunch of discounts. There's a lot of discounts. Some of the discounts pay for the membership the first time you use them. Some of them, you know, it's five bucks here, two bucks there, three bucks here, ten bucks there. They add up. It's almost inconceivable if you're buying seeds, plants, if you use CBD products, if you use any, you know, you store food, if you do any of the stuff we talk about, that over a year you won't save more than you put in. And, and so if you, if ever thought about becoming a member, just realize that even though it's an upfront cost, it's really a zero cost and it's usually profitable. I get emails from people that say, Jack, I became a member. I wasn't sure about this. I just made sure that every time I bought anything, I checked first to see if one of your vendors was, was available to do that thing. And last year I saved $450. I mean, if you can spend 50 to, to, to save 450, It makes sense every time. So do consider becoming a member if you are not a member of the MSB already. With that, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into this. And again, let me introduce uh, Natalie Bogwalker. I think this is her third or maybe even fourth appearance on TSP. Last time we had her on, we were talking about natural uh, tanning of hides. Now she has a new uh, course available at Wild Abundance. Again, it's on gardening and developing uh, food security and having overall better living through gardening. She's an awesome person. I'm really excited to invite her back to TSP and have her here with us today. And with that, hey, Natalie, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you. Hey, it's been a while since I had you on. I, I'm not sure if this is your third or fourth appearance here, but I, I guarantee you there are people tuning in today that don't know what a Natalie or a Bogwalker is. So let's start off with that, right? Let's like, who is Natalie Bogwalker? Like, how did you end up in this world that you're in, where you're so concerned with sustainability and gardening and permaculture and natural living, tanning hides, all the stuff that you do at Wild Abundance? Let's go back to like Natalie's a little girl trying to figure out what to do with her life and what path leads you here. Uh, well, I grew up in the country and we had a lot of forest behind us, and I just spent all my time outside and my mom was really into plants and gardening and she got me into wild foods and my dad was an engineer and kind of in building and he got a, got a drill and a saw in my hand at a young age. And yeah, I've just, I've just followed that passion. I had the idea that I was going to go to school and, and become a genetic engineer at some point. I like wanted to help find a cure for AIDS, but I got hit by a car and that whole notion just went away really quickly when like my life flashed behind the, in front of my eyes. And I was like, Oh, actually <laughs> I want to live close to the earth. And I want to, I want to live a life that's, that's truly sustainable. And so that's really what I've done. I studied ecological agriculture in college and then I have learned carpentry and building and studied permaculture in college too and then I went to lots of places learned lots of things and then I started wild abundance um like 12 years ago and um got this land 10 years ago and we've been sharing these um ever since awesome so 
You have this new course out on, on gardening, and as I said during the intro that you weren't here for, we always, when we bring a guest on, it has a thing. We make sure they get to talk about it, but we talk about the thing more than the, the thing for sale, the gardening of itself. So let's start off with just growing food. What has been yeah. your experience with growing food? Well, I um, when I was a kid, I grew food with my mom, and then I went, after dropping out of college the first time, I went back and I studied ecological agriculture and started doing a lot of gardening. And then I traveled around the world. I did a bunch of stuff in Spain, worked um, to help start a community garden over there, and then in Guatemala, and then I was raised in the Pacific Northwest, but I ended up in southern Appalachia. I moved here, I don't know, like 18 years ago or something. This is definitely my home. And so I've been growing food here ever since. And I've gone through phases of being almost completely self-sufficient between gardening and, like, my partner at the time, hunting. Um, but at this point in my life, I'm much more into sharing skills. And so I grow a vegetable garden. I have a lot of perennials planted out. We eat a lot of fruit and berries from the land and some years, lots of chestnuts, which is exciting. And yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, like I love perennial, perennials and working with perennials, but working, just growing annual vegetables is just such a huge passion of mine. And it puts me in like a really happy place <laughs> to just be in the garden. And especially with all this chaos going on in the world right now, like being able to go to my garden and just tend these plants and I often listen to a podcast or a book on tape and it's just like it's like my happiest time of the day and it's so recharging and then to be able to like there's so much weirdness going on with the food system and even like organic vegetables when you get them like they're often sprayed with some chemical and that chemical might be approved through Omri to be used organically but it's not good for you And so to be able to feel totally safe about the food that I'm eating and that I'm feeding my family is just really important to me. And it doesn't hurt that I just love doing it. <laughs> I've been teaching people how to garden. I think I taught my first gardening class uh, 20 years ago, just about perfectly. And so, yeah, I've just been sharing this passion for a long time because it's just so fun and I just really like turning people onto it. Very, very cool. I, I know that gardening is addictive, not just is something you do, but something you share. Like, show yeah. me a passionate gardener and I will show you them within, you pick any point in time, and as long as other human beings interact with them, within one week I will show you them evangelizing gardening. Like, <laughs> you, you, you can't like you can't not do it. It's my, my favorite way is to get people to visit me And I just walk them through my gardens, and I'll like, oh, there's a black cherry tomato and a cubanelle pepper. And I'll just pull them off, break the pepper in half, hand them half a pepper and a tomato, and start eating it. A lot you ever you ever do this where you hand somebody food like from your garden, you start eating it. You don't you don't do anything with it. You just pick it and eat it, and they almost look at you like you're going to die. Like you can just <laughs> you can just pull it off with a vine and eat it. Yeah, kind of like our ancestors did for like oh a bazillion years, right? And but if you get them to eat like. A, a warmed in the sun, you know, mm. indigo rose or black cherry tomato. Mm -hmm. And they've never had that experience before. 
getting them interested in gardening just happened. That they give you permission to like spread the virus, you know, the good virus. Yeah. <laughs> the one you want to be infected with. Absolutely. The one that's good for you. And if you think about it, like when you talk about annuals, I'm big on perennials too, but I get a lot of production and more reliable production mm-hmm. on my property specifically from annuals because yeah. my property is freaking like, it's just clearly I'm a soil masochist. I can't possibly buy a piece of property that's easy. I have to buy stuff on rocks and ledges. And <laughs> and so it takes intensive cultivation. Well, that really lends itself more toward annuals. So Like right now, I'm in kind of my. It's so hot. I'm in my Darth. Like my tomatoes are starting to wilt, and it's it's kind of the you know. Then I'll go into fall. But from like September through right about now, I all year long I can produce something, and Man, there's awesome. there's so much value to that with with annual production that you know mm-hmm. perennials are great, but they also have their issues. Yeah. Like this year, we got very 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 mild winter, and then all the fruit mm-hmm. trees put their blossoms on. And then we got a day where it went down to 17 degrees. Yeah, that's exactly what happened here. And it was, it was, I cried a few times. I even lost mulberries. <laughs> I even lost my mulberries. It happened, yes. It happened twice to be my mulberries and my chestnuts. Like my mulberries, and they're doing awesome right now. I've been giving them all these compost peas and yeah. neem oil and all sorts of things. But, but my mulberries and my chestnuts. Like, some of my chestnuts totally died. I had mm. one mulberry die, but I had five or something that just, like, a foot of growth got hacked back. But we had two of those late frosts. And, and like, so they got hit once, and then they just started sending out green again, and they got hit again. And, yeah, exactly, like, like the perennials. And, you know, perennials, too. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like, I love perennials. <laughs> I love berries. I love permaculture. And, um... And like you're saying, it's not necessarily as reliable. I mean, and that's why it's so good to have books because then yes. you have redundancy. But, yes. but also the, the, the fruit trees specifically, not necessarily the perennial vegetables, but the fruit trees, like it's mostly sugar. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love fruit. Fruit is awesome, but like there's only so much, so much sugar, even fruit sugar that I should be eating. Agreed. And so I think that like rounding out the, um, Rounding out your edible landscape with an annual vegetable garden is just so important. And also for people who don't own their land, you know, it makes a lot more sense to grow an annual vegetable garden than it does to do, um, to do perennials and there's container gardening and there's just options for everyone that make annual vegetable gardening just so accessible. I completely agree. And, and one of the key ideas we want to hit on today with producing your own food regardless of how, mm-hmm. is food sovereignty. And uh, yeah. I shared a, I'll actually share it with you now during the intro segment, a quote from Joel Salatin today when he was talking about food uh, sovereignty. And he said, true food sovereignty is the historical normalcy of packing mm-hmm. it in during the abundant times, building that in-house larder, and resting easy knowing that our little ones are not dependent on the next week's farmer's market or the electronic yeah. cashiers in the supermarket. So it's easy to beat up on the supermarket, but we think of farmer's markets as a, a very positive thing, and I'm glad they're there. And you know, Joe, if, Joe, yeah. if nobody bought food, Joel wouldn't have a job, right? So he's not yeah. putting it down, but he is saying that like yeah. it makes sense that we be dependent, 100% dependent on no one but ourselves. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, kind of what yeah. what makes food sovereignty so important for the individual in, in your view? Well, I think that many layered. I think right now with what we're experiencing in the world, 
like the answer is pretty obvious or one answer is pretty obvious, like just for survival. Yeah. <laughs> like, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, in March, I was like, are all the grocery stores going to close? And I mean, to be honest, I didn't feel scared about not getting food. I felt scared about the crazies yeah. who didn't have food and who knew I had food. And I think that, I think that, that food sovereignty is important for individuals to just know that they have that, that, um, to know that they have that security in case times get kind of crazy, but also in a societal way, just because like, you know, I think you can, you can see where I'm going (laughs) just so so that people, everyone has the food that they need so that they're not coming knocking on their neighbor's door being like, Oh, I don't have anything. And like, you know, I have some, I produce some surplus for sure, but like there's not enough surplus for the number of people who aren't going to have much of anything. And that's really scary to me. And I mean, who knows, who knows, maybe the, the supermarkets will continue to be well stocked for all time. I have no idea. The only major shortage that has affected me at this point is I went to go buy, I've gotten on this fitness kick and I went to go buy some weights. Mm. <laughs> I didn't find weight anywhere. It was so funny. But, um, that hit me too, a uh, different way. I, uh, I've decided to start bringing more cardio into my life. So I found this, uh, mm-hmm. I found the Peloton stuff and I'm like, that's really expensive. No way. And so I found this kind of alternative spin bike called the Schwinn IC4 and I'm waiting 60 days to get it. Oh my God. That's, that's the big yeah. shortage. Or if you want, you know, I'll tell you another thing with, with food, go, go try uh, to get a deep freezer. I've heard about that. Yeah, it, three months before that. they'll let you order it. You can't even so order crazy. it right now it, it, with Home Depot. Yeah, Home that's Lowe's. pretty hilarious, which is like a cool thing that people yeah. are looking that way. But so food sovereignty, I think it's important just for survival. I think it's also important just like humans, I think, right now are in a state, and I, I'm sure you're hip to this, of like being separate from the more than human world and separate from their food in a way that has never happened before in a scale that has never happened. And like, it's not healthy. Like, it's not how we like evolved to be. And so I think that it's really, it's really spiritually important. I think that it's important, um, just as far as security goes. And I think that it's important just for inhabiting our bodies in a way that, that they're like, that they're made for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk about that separation. Are you familiar with a, with a British TV chef named Jamie Oliver? Have you ever seen him? Yeah. He, he's a really cool guy. He did this, like two seasons of this show, and they got him off the air because I think it was probably hurting big food and, and school lunch uh-huh. programs and everything else because he was hitting it on so hard. But the separation leads to some very unnatural human behaviors, and that's kind of what you were hitting on there. In the first series, he took all these kids out of school, and he wanted them to understand what a chicken nugget was actually made of. And he shows uh-huh. them this very disgusting process of like centrifuges and all and what they actually make chicken nuggets out of. And the entire uh-huh. time the kids are like, ew, gross, whatever. So then he makes basically like some, some sautéed chicken, right, like not breaded, like herbed and all. And then he shows them the chicken nuggets that they just saw how they're made. And the sautéed chicken that they just watched him make. And he said, uh-huh. now, who still wants the chicken nuggets? 
Most of the kids raised their hand and still wanted the nuggets after they saw how they were made and were disgusted by it. And you can see him, he's just defeated, like he just slumps. But the only way you get that result is a complete divorce from the reality mm -hmm. of food. You can't have people actually yeah. connected to their food that would come to that conclusion, even as children. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's scary. Totally. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and there's, I mean, I've heard that, you know, they've shown elementary school students, like, these different vegetables, like, growing. <laughs> ask, they don't know what they are. Which one was which, and they have no idea. Yeah, it's really... It's really fascinating. You show and them a potato that, and say, do you know what you get from this? And they don't know it's a French fry. They have no idea. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> the potato, not, let alone the potato plant. I, I recently had a conversation that I outlined on on, on Facebook for humor uh, with a bag boy and a checkout girl over a fennel, uh, like a whole fennel that they had, a beautiful uh -huh. fennel for sale. And it was it was funny. But it was like tragic. I won't go through the whole thing. But it was like you know yeah. the, the the bag boys looking at it and going, a plant that tastes like candy because I told him it tastes like licorice. It, it literally makes no sense. And like he said that like five times in a row. Like he couldn't accept. And I'm like, it won't offend me. Smell it because if you smell fennel, you know it smells like licorice. Like and he's like, it's just yeah. a, a plant that I said, you know they make. And right before I left, I said, you know they make licorice from a plant. And just <laughs> like the cognitive agony. And that wow. poor kid's head. And you're going, this is... And, and people think it's funny, and it is, but it isn't, because you have a, a generation... And actually, now I think we're on like our third generation. And I think like three generations ago, it was a portion. And then the last generation, which is kind of our generation, like millennial X overcross, right? That maybe half had no idea where their food came from. And now we have an, almost an entire generation. And unless you're a, a kid or a grandkid of somebody like me or you, they have no idea. They have no idea where any yeah. food comes from. And that, that makes food sovereignty, in my opinion, impossible until you correct. you got to correct uh -huh. that first. Yes. Yes, I think that's huge. And it's something that, like, is a huge passion of mine is teaching gardening. And I've been doing it for a long time. And I really have had, like, beautiful experiences of, like, being in the garden with people. And it's, like, really empowering and awesome. But I think that taking it to this digital like I I've had some like curiosity about teaching some of this stuff in online courses like the online high tanning and like gardening but I think there's just so many people that don't have the don't have someone nearby that they can learn this stuff from at this point because there's so many people are so divorced and separated from their food like you're saying that it, it can be rare and so doing the online gardening school has been really sweet to me because of just like the number of people that we're able to reach in all these places that where they don't have access to people to learn from or like a neighbor who can mentor them or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's really, it feel, feels really good and exciting. And I hope, yeah, I just hope that more and more people get excited about gardening because it is just so so vital and so fun and so yeah just kind of the antidote to all of this insane like technocratic culture that we're living in right now and a lot of people have especially gotten excited about it because of covid and mm -hmm. i think that the like double whammy of 
like fear about food sovereignty and like having some more time on their hands. A lot of people um, have just gotten into gardening. So it's exciting to see this wave of new gardeners and we'll see. We just, we just put out a um, summer planting for fall and winter harvest, like a little free class. And that is really sweet too. And we put out this 10 vegetables to grow that really feed you. So we're doing the online gardening school, but we're also doing free offerings that I think are really, really going to be helpful for people. So what are some of the benefits of gardening? Uh, you can talk some about like the direct benefits, like you get food, but what are some yeah. of the additional benefits to that as well? Well, yeah, you get food. I think one big thing is community. Like, Often when you're growing a garden, you have a lot more than you need. And so you start oh, knocking on your neighbor's door and offering them some zucchinis or um, or talking with some other neighbor about, like, the best way to deal with squash vine borers or, um, or these sorts of things. And so I think the community, we're going to the farmer's market and getting, like, I actually went to the farmer's market the other day. I hadn't been in a long time, but it was sweet to go and and get a few things that I don't happen to be growing and just like rap with people about how the season's going. Like there's just such this, like, it's almost like this club. You know? <laughs> if you're a gardener, like people really like to talk with other gardeners about what's going on. And it, it like kind of unlocks the door to a community of people that I think are pretty awesome. So that's another gar- benefit of gardening. It gets you outside and gets your hands in the dirt, which is like, I think, really important for happiness yeah. <laughs> and like I know for me it's a huge part of my happiness and for a lot of my friends too um I think that gardening gets you in touch with the seasons in a way that is really important and just gets you outside and gets you connected with life like it's so exciting to like plant seeds and have them actually come up like one of my apprentices this year he had never successfully himself grown a garden. He'd like helped out his grandpa with gardening and, and helped some other people out, but he'd never been the one to plant the seeds and see them come up. And like, he was just really skeptical that it was actually going to happen. And then, and then suddenly all these beets were growing. He was like, Oh my God. Like, it's just really empowering. Like being able to plant the seed and then harvest a vegetable from that seed. Like it's, it's, very significant for a lot of people in their like growing self-esteem and yeah those are a few a few things that i'd say are really important about gardening and really helpful from gardening to people's lives you know um on that something that it also springs to mind for me is a huge benefit for families is how many parents say i can't get i can't get my kids to eat their vegetables Mm-hmm. Right, you did can't get, and then Velveeta puts out a thing where they smother it in like processed cheese, and they play Enya music like that's the way to fix things. You know, uh, I don't know if you've seen that commercial. It's it's, it's just like oh come on. Um, but what I found with my grandkids is take them out and let them participate even a little bit in gardening. Mm-hmm. They want to eat yeah. it because now they want to yeah. know. Now they want to know. Well, what's it yeah. taste like? I mean, like you, you, I got my grandson bringing me recipes. Mm, you know what I mean? So Be- awesome. Because he grew it. Well, I, what do I do with it now? I grew it, and, and, and like now they have a, a vestige in it, right? Like it's it, mm-hmm. it's important. Like it's not important to a child 
when you go to the store and even if you buy the best organically grown kale you can get, that you did that. Uh-huh. They don't care. It's not yeah. a, it's not a pop tart. They do not care. But if they see that little plant grow, mm-hmm. then even if they end up not because I don't ever make my kids eat anything they actually try with an open mind and don't like. Because I uh-huh. don't eat I don't eat stuff I don't like. But I'll, yeah. that's all I ask. Try this and not you, you know when kids are trying something and it's not they're not going to like it no matter what it tastes like because it's like uh, you get them to try it genuinely like it or not like it okay then you eat, then I then I know when I cook grilled peppers you can eat them and you know now you're going to eat them but if you can get them to do that by their own free will that's mm-hmm. like you, you could spike the football after that man like you you scored a touchdown um, and totally. Then, You can do like you start out with like all the pepperoni of fruits and vegetables, the strawberry. Like you get a hundred kids in a room, ninety of them will be happy if you order a pizza with pepperoni, right? Like that's that's uh-huh. all they want. Cheese pepperoni, strawberries are the pepperoni of fruits and vegetables. Ninety percent of kids will eat a strawberry, so grow some strawberries, get them eating that, and then all of a sudden the little mind starts going, well, what else can I grow? Yeah, totally. That's really smart. Yeah, I I have um, my daughter's three. And she has her own garden bed. And it's, I put it right next to the strawberry bed. <laughs> like a, kind of a draw to get her down there. And it was actually my, my neighbor's suggestion. She does a lot of gardening with kids. And I was asking her for advice about gardening with my daughter. Because, I mean, to be honest, it's really important thing for me to teach my daughter how to grow food. And, like, To give her that gift into this uncertain future just feels really important to me. And so I just wanted to start early with it being fun for her and it being like being something engaging instead of like, oh, mom's dragging me into the garden again. And so she suggested Hazel having her own garden bed. And so we just grow what she wants to grow in it. And it's really fun. We, we're really into growing ground cherries in it. That's like one of her favorite things. It's like this little mm. tomato relative that she just adores and then she's got some stevia growing in there which is really fun because it's just so sweet and then um trying to think oh yeah she wanted to grow lettuce and she wants to grow broccoli in the fall and then she's got the strawberries next door and um then she wanted to grow beans so it's kind of this like odd bed that has all these different things growing in it which is lovely and um yeah it's really sweet because she'll come down to the garden with me and she'll like help me do whatever you know a little bit and then she'll go pick some ground cherries in her garden and then she'll come back and help me do whatever thing and I think that that suggestion that Laura had she and I teach some classes together is like just so good for getting a kid into gardening is giving them like a little tiny part of the garden however You know, I have a relatively big garden, so for her, she has, like, a whole bed. But, like, in some situations, it might be that they just, they have their little corner of your bigger garden bed, you know. And, yeah, getting the kids in the garden is just so important. And and hopefully getting getting to a point where then they're becoming masters in the garden themselves. And I have several friends. It's, it's pretty amazing who they've grown food for a long time and now their kids are have like taken over the gardening and farming in some situations and they're like they're like 19 year old is like running the farm and like taking the food to the farmers market and making money and it's just really it's really sweet. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um 
I've always said that like when it comes to food production, like gardening is usually the best place to start, and that gardening mm -hmm. is probably not the best way to produce the majority of your calories. That um, uh -huh. animal products, unless you're a, a vegan or a vegetarian that insists on going another way, are the easiest way to get nutrient-dense calorie yields. So chickens and uh -huh. eggs and stuff like that, right? But when it comes to growing, we can grow some calorie crops, potatoes or sweet potato would be yeah. one example. But in general, what I say is let's start out growing our nutrition because it's yeah. nutrient density. Like you can grow a lot of lettuce and spinach and arugula and stuff like that, and you eat a giant bowl of it, and it's like 30 calories. But the nutrient yeah. value is huge. So can mm -hmm. we talk about some of the more nutrient-dense vegetables that you think are like some of the best to grow or the, the easiest to grow or what have you? Well, this is this is kind of a funny thing. Like one of the most nutrient-dense vegetables you can grow is actually a weed, and it's called chickweed. And it's, it's one of my favorite crops in my garden, and it's one that I don't even need to plant every year. And it's really cool. Like in the, um, in the spring, I, there's a bunch of chickweed in my garden, and I let it go to seed in a lot of my beds before I plant my other crops so that way the seeds are in the soil. And chickweed doesn't grow here where I live during the growing season. And so it just grows in the winter when I'm not, I'm like, you and I are in a little bit of different climate. So it's going to be a different thing with, with the seasons, but I think you probably have some correlative things. So like in the winter time, I let the chickweed be a cover crop and take over my beds and I'm just eating it all winter. And even, I even put row cover on it to keep it, to keep it growing and keep it beautiful and tasty. Um, but chickweed actually has more protein. I believe I need to fact check this, but I believe it has more protein and more, um, iron per ounce than spinach or any other vegetable that you're growing in the garden. So chickweed is like my number one. Um, nutrient dense vegetable. And then, um, I like growing sweet potatoes a lot. And sweet potatoes, especially growing, um, growing ones that aren't, well, even, even just the plain orange ones, but I like growing lots of different varieties of them. And they have a lot of, they have a lot of carbohydrates, but they have a lot of minerals in them as well. And so, and kids like love them. And they don't, like, mess with your blood sugar the same way that potatoes do. So sweet potatoes are a really good one. And, like, depending on where you are and depending on your situation, like, growing animals can, in a totally self-sufficient way where you're growing all of their fodder, it can take up a lot of room. And you might not have that much room. And so being able to grow some calorically dense things can be a really good thing, especially if you're trying to be completely self-sufficient. So sweet potatoes are a big one there. Regular potatoes or Irish potatoes, I like to grow purple ones because they're so high in antioxidants. So mm. purple potatoes are another one of my favorites. Um, let's see here. I mean, to be, to be honest, lettuce. Like Some people think of lettuce, and I used to think of lettuce as like, oh, whatever, you know. I'm not going to grow lettuce. It's just like a fluffy thing. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have much like density to it and, and it's not worth growing and I'll just harvest wild greens. But lettuce is like, can be such a basis and such a base for 
meals that are super healthy. And I mean, I like to eat a salad once a day. And so I grow a lot of lettuce and I grow it in succession. So I plant a small amount of it every three weeks or so. And then I'm always in lettuce. And yeah, I just love it. And then um, kale, kale, you know, and again, depending on what climate you are at, like we're doing this whole thing with our garden school where we're having like a different one for each climate. We're going to be launching that for um, in the winter. But for now, we just have we're having to film it as we go. So we're we're following our climate here. But um, the kale where I live in the winter time, it usually needs to be covered to grow, but it'll it'll grow through the winter with just like a really easy to build row cover and kale is just so tasty if you know how to cook it right like I really like to saute I like to caramelize onions and parsnips together and then add kale with a little bit of bone broth it's like one of my favorite meals ever um so yeah kale and then root crops parsnips are um are amazing and just so not known they're so easy to grow and that's one thing when it comes to gardening for me is like the ease of growing different things because it's one thing like the ease of growing it versus how much it costs to buy in the store. So like I don't grow carrots in the spring, for example, like carrots are a pain in the ass to grow Mm. and they're really cheap to buy in the store. So like, you know, when I can't buy carrots in the store for like whatever organic carrots for like a dollar a pound, then I'm going to grow carrots throughout the year but right now I just grow carrots in the fall but parsnips man they are so easy to grow they're delicious and I don't know why they're like out of out of like they're not a super common vegetable these days like people used to eat a lot more variety in vegetables than they do now and I think yeah there's a lot of reasons behind that but parsnips are one that have been lost and they're so good so I encourage everyone to grow them um, so root crops like parsnip, daikon, turnip, those are all really easy to grow. And then, um, and then tomatoes. Tomatoes are not easy to grow, but, but they, I mean, they had so much variety and so, like, there's a lot of nutrients in tomatoes that are anti-cancer and that are just really good for you and vitamins. And so, Tomatoes are a really big one, especially soft tomatoes. Like I only grow maybe like eight slicer tomatoes. And this is something a lot of people don't know about the distinction between slicer tomatoes and soft tomatoes. And if you try making a sauce out of slicer tomatoes, you're going to have to cook it down like a long time to get it to not be super watery. Um, So I only grow eight to ten slicer tomatoes, and those are just for fresh eating or making um, caprese salads or whatever, like tomato sandwiches. Um, and then I grow like 40, uh, plants of, uh, of sauce tomatoes and those I make sauce for the winter and that I really love. And then there's some weird vegetables that people don't know about that I really like growing. Um, there's this variety of lamb's quarters called magenta screen. Now lamb's quarters is a really common weed in a lot of people's gardens, but magenta screen is this amazing plant it's like it grows to be about seven feet tall and it just gives so many greens and it grows so easily and it's gorgeous and so that's 
that's another vegetable and it's super high in nutrients. Um, and so, yeah, I, magenta screen, those are, oh, and beets. Beets would go along with those root crops. I love growing beets. There's a particular variety that the seed is kind of hard to get. Um, it's called Lutz green leaf beet and they grow huge. Like they're way bigger than a softball. They're like, I'd say each, each beet is like five to seven inches in diameter. If I plant them at the right time and give them, give them some bone meal and love them up and they grow really well in with onions. So they're, yeah, they're just a great thing to have in the garden. So beets, I think would be the final vegetable on that list. Beans are awesome too. I like growing green beans, but we have a lot of pest issues with them here. And that's like, you know, pests, I could keep talking. Oh, that's fine. Um, pests are interesting because, you know, I'm committed to growing organically. I don't want to eat poison. I don't really see the point in eating poison. And I don't choose to put poison on my vegetables. Um, I don't want my kid eating poison. Um, but what that means is in this day and age where we have like, you know, you've seen the pandemic like move so quickly. It's the same thing with garden pests. Like when I talk with the old timers in the area, they're like, yeah, I didn't used to use pesticides, but nowadays you can't grow without using them. And yeah. it's just because there's so many more pests because we're moving everything around so much, mixing everything up. But, um, but there are things that I just choose not to bother with because they just are super pest ridden. Like I grow kale through the winter, for example, but like I don't mess with growing Brussels sprouts or, hmm. or like broccoli or kale during the summertime here because no. they just get decimated. And when I lived in the Pacific Northwest, that wasn't the case. And that's something that's really important with gardening is to make sure that you find someone local or go to your like local extension agent to like, just do some little checking up on certain things that yeah. that you really need to talk to someone local about. Yeah, you know, on the broccoli, like that's an example of learning how to do what's called stacking in time so that you you, uh -huh. you actually time the plant proper to your location. Like, Because when I first moved to Texas, I, I'm a yeah. broccoli fanatic, man. I, George Bush Sr. Mm -hmm. can do whatever he wants. I am going to eat more broccoli. I love broccoli. <laughs> And I grew broccoli in Pennsylvania as a kid. And, you know, you mm -hmm. plant it very early in the spring because it can handle frosts mm -hmm. and stuff. And, yeah. you know, like you're in like the beginning of like mid-April and it's still cold out. And you get your first big head of broccoli. And then until, until like the plant just gives up because it's tired of you cutting it, you get shoots off of it every week mm -hmm. all the way to late September. So I'm like, oh, I'll grow some broccoli. You plant a little broccoli plant in March in Texas and like – a week and a half later, it's got a giant shoot shooting up out of it. It's bolted. There's 800,000 yeah. caterpillars on it because it's the only piece of broccoli <laughs> in a thousand miles. So they all come and they're like, this sucks. Well, right yeah. now, I'd say about another three weeks, I'll go into one of my little hydro seed starting systems and I'll start mm -hmm. my broccoli. And I'll put my broccoli yeah. plants out as nice started plants about mid to late September. Because even September here, Even though it's timed sort of right for the duration, it's still too hot mm -hmm. and it's still going to go nuts. And yeah. the cabbage, but like you go late September, cabbage flies are like, I better go pupate or whatever. I, you know, it's time to, there's nothing yeah. left. And yeah. you have a nice full grown broccoli plant and a freeze hits, it doesn't even care. I've got pictures of some of my broccoli plants with literally icicles hanging off of them. 
And since they were mature, they like they got some leaf burn and all. They didn't give a crap. They kept going. And they'll go right up to about yeah. that March period. And then, okay, now you just cut it off, leave the roots in the ground, plant something else. And mm -hmm. that totally. is such a better approach. And But that doesn't mean that's the right approach. That means that's the right approach for my climate in yeah. my system, right? And people need to figure that yeah. out. So other stuff you yeah. were talking about, like you were talking about lamb's quarters. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with a plant called Huazotle at all. I'm not. Okay, it's a I'm South not. American version, I guess you'd say, of lamb's quarters. And when it's uh -huh. young, it's like lamb's quarters, but it tastes like somebody salted it. Like this amazing, oh. like slightly salty, pre-salted lamb's quarter. As it gets bigger, just like lamb's quarter, it gets kind of tough as far as the leaves and what have you. But then it puts on these huge seed heads that look a lot like amaranth. In fact, some people call it like something like uh, fuzzy amaranth or something like that. And then you huh. can take those seed heads and they kind of eat them sort of kind of like a broccoli substitute. But nice. it's 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 a it's a, it's a chinopodium. It's a it's a, it's a lamb's quarter, goosefoot yeah. family plant. It's a weed. You can't kill it. Nothing can eat it. Yeah. Like bugs land on it, try to eat it. Like uh, no, it's no. It's and I think part of it is that bugs generally don't want to eat highly nutrient dense, you know, plants that are uh -huh. are full of minerals. They want to eat cellulose. Like they're not they're designed uh -huh. to take out the weak. And I yeah. guess you can grow this stuff in a way that makes it weak, but I have not seen it. It's if you think of like, do you ever have a pest problem with your lamb's quarter? You know, you just um, don't. no, no. I mean, it might get a bug or two on it, but you know, my spiders live in my lamb's quarters, right? And so that's a good one to check out for people. And I, I've got one really huge one this year, and I'm just like, don't take the seed heads because I'm like going to have like a gazillion seeds from that one at yeah. the end of the year. But like that's yeah. a good thing. And um, the more we can do like that, where we find things that just, they're like honey badgers. They don't care. Like you mentioned, um, what do you call them, uh, purple potatoes? But you also mm -hmm. mentioned sweet potatoes. I love the purple Osakan sweet potatoes. And mm -hmm. they're, they're not purple greens. Like the greens are like a really bright green. And the potato mm -hmm. flesh is like yellow. It's the skin that's purple, and cool. nothing, nothing touches them. Not a bug, nice. and I got every bug. They're all here. They're all here, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I've, yeah. I've done such a good job of improving insect habitat. I have fireflies this year. I've never even seen nice. a firefly in Texas. I've talked to people around me, and it's not like all of a sudden they're here. Like, nobody's seeing them. They're all over my property at night. But So sure. no bugs eat this stuff. And then they don't taste like a sweet potato. They taste like a buttery, slightly sweet, regular potato. And if uh -huh. I, I would never take the skin off because it's so thin and it's good for you and there's so much nutrient. But if you did want it off, you don't have to peel them. You can only take a stiff brush and the, the skin will scrub off of them. Like when you wash them, you have to be careful not to wash them too hard or the skin comes off. And so like totally. there's so many plants like that out there. And if you save one a year, you make slips and you can make as many as you want. And then like you were saying about sweet potato, all sweet potato, you eat the greens. So it's like yes, there's I so many things like that. So not known. Yeah, it's really with greens, it's interesting because, you know, like I said, kale doesn't do well here during the summer. I can grow it in the fall. And that's such a big thing. We in, And we include this like planting table for where you're at and when to grow these different things because it's so important. But, um, but like, there's so many cool greens that we just don't know about. And it's interesting, like, I really like making Indian food. 
And like in Indian food recipes, they call for spinach all the time. So like sog paneer or sog, Mm -hmm. whatever. And, um, and like in India, they aren't using spinach. (laughs) They're using like whatever green happens to be around. And like, I, I've gotten so into like, I really like using milkweed greens. You have to cook them, but I love milkweed greens. I really like Sochan, which is also known as green-headed coneflower. It was like a traditional um, perennial vegetable that the Cherokee loves. What's it called? And, or, and still love. Sochan. Sochan. How do you spell that? Because I want to make sure that's in the show notes. S- that's the, uh, it's a Cherokee name, S-O-C-H-A-N. Okay. And um, it's also called green-headed coneflower. Okay. And it's a perennial vegetable. I'm, I'm pretty into perennial vegetables. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten, you know, lately I've gotten really into taking um, milkweed flowers and including them when I do, like, roasted zucchini. Like, I'll take I'll take some onions that I've just harvested and I'll include the greens and I will take zucchini and then I'll take milkweed flowers. And it's so delicious to roast them. I mean, to talk about something tasting like broccoli like they taste like broccoli but like way tastier but you absolutely have to cook them because they have a um they have a like a lactate that that's why they're called milk milkweed they have this sap that is like fluid and not good for you or your digestive system if it's raw but if it's cooked it's totally great for you but yeah it's like and then the lamb quarters and the the magenta screen and it sounds like you have some really awesome greens that you love too mm-hmm. it's like thinking like i think that i think that thinking outside of the boxes as far as like conventional vegetables just makes gardening so much easier and so much more fun like you can't grow spinach in the summer not here <laughs> no, indoors not you can you you, you can forget about it it it, 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 yeah. it instantly bolts and then it it's like yeah. It doesn't even make good seed when it bolts like that. It's just crap. Now, like you're talking about your kale and stuff you grow through the winter. And so like any of, any of your things, like your kales, your broccolis, et cetera, like that, that you grow through the winter, one thing I always mm-hmm. do is always like pick like the two best plants and I let them mm-hmm. just go. Because then yeah. when they start, and then you get all this seed, you can harvest yeah. way more than you'll ever use. And all of a sudden, like next year, almost like plants know when to grow all by themselves, you start getting volunteers. Yeah. Because those seeds get knocked over by a duck or whatever. And those volunteers, those are your freaking badass genetics. Bomber. Right? And that's the really smart thing is when you're selecting which ones to let go to seed is to really look at, like, with your beets, like, notice the biggest, fattest root. And with your tomatoes, like, like, find out the plant that is the most resistant to the blight and that like yields like the tastiest tomatoes and you know i've read this book you're probably familiar with it too carol depp she's from oregon and she wrote this book called breed your own vegetable varieties and she's talking about what you're talking about and she just goes goes really into depth about how to do it for different plants and i really recommend that book for anybody who's who's wanting to do seed saving like it's one thing to save seed and you know when you buy seed from most seed companies they're not doing that yeah. They're just harvesting seed from all of the plants. Well, they're buy, they're buying seed, right? Like you'll be surprised if you even like the uh, the like organic seed providers and all. As long as you mm-hmm. are doing things in an organic way, they buy a lot of seed from people like me and you. And that doesn't mean yeah. there's anything wrong with it. I'm very proud of my seed, yeah. but 
you're not getting yeah. Jack's seed. You're getting Jack's seed and Natalie's seed and Tom's seed and Bill's seed and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that as a starting place, but no. nothing beats yeah. your seed from your land. Nothing. Yes, because that's the seed that's going to be resistant to the diseases that are there. It's going to be one that works with your climate. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Like, and I mean, I don't have time to do that, to save seed from every different vegetable that I grow every year. But, but I try to do like five each year and then I rotate through it. So that way I can have seed that I grew from different years because you don't need seed to be fresh that year as long as you're keeping it in a cold place and, and it's in the dark and like you can, many seeds i mean some seeds don't last very long like parsnip seeds don't last very long but many seeds like corn seeds can last for many years for example mm -hmm. and like kale seeds and various things and so and in carol's book i believe she talked about that there's a lot of books on seed saving but that one i think it's just it's like the next level where it's like it's not just about it's not just about uh saving seed it's about growing like you're saying seed that is suited to your property and it can be really awesome we we have on and off done this and this i live in this little community called barnardsville in north carolina and it's just north of Asheville. and there's a lot of people who are really into um living off the land up here and so we'll do this thing where different different people different families or farms or whatever will will grow you know three different types of seed and save those seeds and do a really good job of selecting and then we'll just pool and share those different seeds and do a little seed exchange and that can be really helpful because it's hard it's hard to take the time and and this is something that I think is really important with gardening too is just to like be tender with yourself and don't have the expectation of doing it all yourself every mm -hmm. single year and so I think like being able to combine forces, especially with things like seed saving. And there's some crops that like, like I just, just don't do well in my garden. <laughs> so, so sometimes oh, my friends will you, go that for you're me. You're dead on it. Yeah. I have a, I have, like you said, I have trouble with tomatoes and I've just discovered that mm -hmm. if I plant them really early, they'll do really, mm -hmm. really okay. I would say really good, really okay up till about right now. <laughs> and then the blight, uh -huh. the blight will come. And yeah. then I just, Like I cut them all out, and all my green fruit clusters, I cut the whole cluster off, and I set it right in the garden. Mm -hmm. I don't bring it in the house. I don't put it in a window. I just <laughs> set it on the soil in the garden. And as those <laughs> clusters ripen, I use them. And I either uh -huh. use them or I dehydrate them or freeze them or can them or whatever. And I'm just done. I'm done with tomatoes for the yeah. year. So I plant yeah. tomatillo. Just uh -huh. behind the tomato, and when you pull the, you know, I don't really pull, I cut the tomato plant out, it opens things up and the tomatillo takes off. And the tomatillos are like kind of your stand-in for your late season, and they don't, mm -hmm. they don't get blight. They're, they're not really yeah. like a husk tomato, but they're not. So like, mm -hmm. instead of like spraying it with cornmeal tea and chanting over it and, you know, trying to align a bull's horn with the sky or something and, and praying to the tomato god, right, beating a drum. I just Tomatoes don't like to grow after this period of time yeah. here. Done. Green yeah. beans, same thing. Plant green beans really early. Get as many as I can. When the hot weather comes, they get uh, bacterial disease here. Fine. Done. Mm -hmm. I got enough. I'm yeah. good. And then I plant yeah. like a pole bean into the fall. So like... Mm -hmm. You just 
you just accept feedback. That's a permaculture principle. Like, yeah. And then, like, we were talking about, like, the wild things, like the whole Zantle, which is kind of a cultivated wild thing, or the lamb's quarters. Like, if you then encourage that stuff in your lawn because you're not poisoning it, and you start foraging like your ancestors did right in your own backyard, all yeah. these little augmentations, like, and you get these little special seasonal things. Because we were talking about, like, perennials and their unreliability. Like, first of all, you have almost like a biannual nature with heavy versus light production, even when everything goes right mm -hmm. with plums and pears. Mm -hmm. This year, when the frost came, it didn't kill my peaches. It didn't kill my plums. It knocked the blossoms off, and I didn't get any. Trees are fine, yeah. but it's gone. But yeah. something like wild garlic, something like... Um, Black locusts for the blossoms. All of these different perennials oh, that have so these good. things you can grab. If they get hit with frost, unless it's a flower knockdown, that you know, if, if, if your wild garlic doesn't care that it froze or whatever. So like, whenever I go anywhere, if I see wild garlic, if it's in when it has little boldets on it where it's basically making seed, I take those. If it doesn't, I pull it right out of the ground, and I plant it randomly throughout my property, and I try to get as much crossbreeding hybridization going as possible. And every year we have like a three-week window where there's just beautiful purple and pink and different color, white garlic blossom flowers on the wild garlic all throughout the property. And you only nice. get it you only get it for that little period of time. And mm -hmm. that makes it so special. We have black locust trees we use as a pioneer species. And they get these huge drapings of these white flowers that taste like you eat one. First it tastes like sweet. Then it tastes like pea. Then it tastes like nothing. It just disappears. You get them for two weeks, right? And, and they I, smell delicious. And the bees cover of them. And it's like, so like, if you out augment your gardening with this, this, this broader approach of let's encourage the wild plants mm -hmm. instead of trying a true green chemlon, all of a sudden, like, you get all this adventure right in the backyard, you know? Adventure in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your. And it's good for. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, go ahead. Uh, but. Oh, and it's good also for adventures, like like when I take my family and we want to go have an adventure. We have we have like a family day where on Mondays actually because I always teach on the weekends. So Monday afternoons we go um, and have an adventure, and often we go to the national forest and we go swimming or whatever. Um, but we'll go on adventures to go pick black locust flowers or go and harvest wild blueberries and. That's just like, and sometimes we stay at home and do gardening and stuff, but it's like it, the food piece of the adventure is something that I think is just so lovely. And like doing things like that with your family versus like going to an amusement park or whatever, it, I think it just like brings everybody closer. It's way less expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's teaching your kids like some life skills and also just like I'm really into into just getting my daughter in the woods and developing her like earth connection and centered centeredness. But, um, but yeah, it's like a fun adventure and it has been like, people have been doing those sorts of things for, you know, as long as humans have been around, except for the last like 50 to a hundred years. It's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, one of the really cool things you can check out if you want to see like how recent this mindset is, is, um, there's a, a BBC documentary series called Wartime Farm, and it's how people uh. lived in the British countryside in the middle of World War II when there mm -hmm. was food rationing. And, like, so you would think a farmer has, like, well, all the food they want. No. Uh-uh. Because the, 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 the government came in and, and judged, first of all, if your farm was not producing enough food, 
because of the blockades and all, they would take your farm and give it to another farmer who could do a better job. Wow. And you could not keep a hundred, like if you decided I just want to keep more of my production this year, no. You had to sell, now you sold it, they didn't seize it, but you had to sell it. Yeah. So they figured out things like they had pig clubs. Because if you grew a pig, you didn't just get to keep the pig. You had to, The pig had to be <laughs> sold, and then you could buy back your ration for pork. But what they came up with was pig clubs where like you and me and another family would adopt a pig. And we would all uh-huh. chip in our, our scraps for the pig, and at the end of the season... Uh-huh. The pig would get cut in half, half would get sold, and the three of us would split the other half of the pig. And the government was like, uh-huh. yeah, yes, you can do that, because you're not farming pigs, you're making use of a waste resource. And so that half a pig we get is more than we would have had, so yes, you may have the other half of your own pig. But if you watch it, you start to realize they all had gardens and things like that. But what made them successful with really eating well compared to the people in the city was all the mm-hmm. stuff that the government didn't regulate. The, uh-huh. the, the bracken shoots and the, the, the apples that grew in the hedgerows and the chestnuts and, and, and the herbs that they could gather. And you know the whole, ta- mm-hmm. the whole group would get together and make cider out of the apples and do applejack by freezing it. Like All of that came from them understanding something that the state didn't. And I think that's always a good thing. Like, and that's why I love permaculture because, like, you can make your property worth like fifty thousand dollars more to the informed buyer, and a tax assessor comes mm-hmm. by and goes, "This place is a dump, right?" I don't, I don't understand at all what they're seeing. So, yeah. I mean, but let, let's like transition at this point. Let's talk about the course you have itself, right? Like, what is your online gardening school really? What does it actually consist of? So it has um, different sections. So there's foundational classes and I believe there's 14 foundational classes and those are things like compost and there's one called what a gardening is and another one called how to plant a seed and get it to grow um and there's another one on how to start a garden from dirt or from a lawn I can't remember and um and so anyway there's all these foundational videos And so those are for people who are beginners or who are intermediate or whatever. You can just kind of pick and choose and watch things as you go. And then each month we release a series of videos that have to do with like each vegetable in that month. So there's like in July, there's July tomatoes video. And in, um, in July, there's also the green bean video. And so there's a, there's a different set of videos that's released each month, including through the winter. And so this year, we're doing that all based on what we're doing here in Southern Appalachia because it's the first year that we're running the course. But um, this winter, we're going to go through everything and sort it out for the different regions. And so you living in Texas, you would get one that's specific for your region and would make sense because right now, you know, what we're sowing in Southern Appalachia Right now, it doesn't necessarily make sense for Texas. It does make sense for, like, Northern California and a lot of the Midwest and most of the eastern seaboard, except the very furthest north. And it makes sense for, yeah, it makes sense for most places, but we're going to be customizing it even more this winter. Um, and then, so those are the monthly classes. And if you buy it, then you get lifetime access, which is really awesome. And um, And so anyone who buys it now, it's really nice because this year is kind of the um well it's just the first year we're doing it and so uh we're offering it for a lot less than we will be in the future um and so that's the monthly classes 
you can choose to grow all of the vegetables that we feature. Um, neither Chloe nor I, Chloe and I are the, are the main teachers for it. Neither of us are growing all of the vegetables and we encourage students to not, not feel like they have to grow everything, but we have everything there that you can look at. And so you can access just the tomato video or just the parsnip video or just the garlic video each month. And then we have, um, an appendix. And so the appendix has all these different planting charts. So like if you are in Northern Vermont, when should you be planting your carrots? you know, this sort of thing and other, other things we have. And then we have bonus classes and the bonus classes are a little more advanced. We have um, a guy who is um, this amazing pest expert and he's putting together this series of videos on integrated pest management and just like um, just how to deal with pests in the garden in an organic way. And then I did a section on gardening with the moon and there's, other sections being added to that all the time and so that's like the basic um the basic way that it's laid out and we have a really flexible pricing system because this year there's just like COVID's been really hard on a lot of people financially and so we want to make it accessible to everyone but we also need to cover our costs so we have um we have sliding scale pricing and so the bottom of the sliding scale is a payment plan. And I think the total, I can't remember the details. I think it's like 30 bucks a month for six months. So, or no, it's 25 bucks for six months. So it comes to 150 bucks for the whole course, which is pretty insane. (laughs) Such an amazing course. And then the top of the sign scale is, is a one-time payment of $750, which is kind of, it helps cover our costs with producing the course. And we've had over 350 people, I think it's actually more like 400 people have signed up for the course since we opened it up in April. And we're, and we've given away a bunch of scholarships to people, especially who are in need because of what's going on in the world right now. And so, yeah, it's been really fun. Oh, and there's a, there's a Q and a, which we do on zoom and we do it um, weekly in the springtime. And then during the summertime, we do it twice a month. And that's been so fun to be able to um, to answer people's questions directly and just get some feedback, like like you're referring to permaculture, like getting and receive receiving and responding to feedback is so important. And so it's just fun to be able to have like this little online community. And there's a there's a Facebook a private Facebook group that the that the students participate in. But it's really a lovely a lovely program because it's accessible to total newbies who are maybe just growing a few things on containers on their porch. And it's also totally applicable to people who've been gardening for like five years and they just want to know more and they want some more expert opinions about different things. And so we're really able to meet people where they're at because the way that you access the different classes in the course is like, you, you, you don't have to do the whole thing. You know, you can just pick and choose what is most applicable to you. So, yeah, it's been really awesome and we've gotten really great response and just a lot of people being like, oh, my God, I've been trying to grow a garden and just hit a lot of stumbling blocks. And, like, you've just empowered me to be able to move through those and to become a competent gardener. And, yeah, it's just really, it's been really a fun project. And I think, like, we produced this online hide tanning class a few years ago and went really 
really overboard on the production. And I think that, I think that going through that was really helpful for then us taking what we've done with gardening in in-person classes and being able to apply it in an online format in a really awesome way. That, that's really, really cool. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of what the foundational lessons in this cover, like kind of what a person coming in is going to expect? Yeah, totally. Here. I'm going to pull up the list because I can't remember. <laughs> for, for, like, there's, we, it's just gotten so, so fun and so extensive that it's hard for me to be able to recall it all without, without taking a look. Okay, here we go. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, starting a garden from grass. It was grass, not dirt. So that's a set of videos that talks about how to, um, different ways to start a garden from grass, whether you might choose to go in there with a tiller or you might choose to do lasagna gardening or you might choose to do a raised bed and put cardboard at the bottom of it and then just bring in topsoil. So different ways to do that. Um, and then we have one on weeds and weeding. And so we talk about the most common weeds, and which ones are edible and have uses, talk about different tools that are used for weeding, and do little demonstrations. We have another one about tools for gardening. And so we go through, and there's a few different videos. One is like just like the five basic tools, like being a shovel. And for me, a hula hoe, or, or also known as a stirrup hoe, is one of the most important tools that you can have, a wheelbarrow, you know, some of these basics. And then we have another video that are, that's more like, and these are the tools that if you can get them, they can be really, really helpful. Um, we have one on um, cover crops, which cover crops are things to grow to enhance the soil while you're not growing your vegetables. And so we do... Um, we do a foundational class on that. We have another one on water, water and irrigation, which is super helpful and how to set up different types of irrigation. Um, there's another one on, uh, on, so there's one on soils. We have a soils 101 class and then there's one on fertility and fertilizers. So yeah, I mean, really these foundational videos are, just lay the foundation. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're they're really awesome. And then, like I said, there's the more advanced bonus classes, which are like similar to the foundational classes, but they're you don't necessarily need to know about them to get started gardening. But they're just really awesome things to have. Like we have a bonus video about trellising and all the different types of trellises that we like to work with and how to build them. And then we have one, um, we have a video which we just released about um, summer planting for fall and winter harvest, which that's in the garden tool. It's also, that particular one is also available for free on our website. And then Gardening by the Moon, we have another one on mulch and mulching. We get so many questions. Like a lot of the content is driven by the students' desires and questions. So like during the, during the, weekly Q&As, we were getting a lot of questions about mulching, so we decided to just make another class on it. And one on how to take a soil test and why, 
and on succession planting and companion planting. And then next year we're going to be adding a bunch of other stuff too. So yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty rad course. And now is a really great time to get it. Like there's still, oh yeah, there's actually another, another, um, foundational course on what to plant when and like gardening throughout the year. And right now is actually a really great time to be planting. And so, um, yeah, there's just, there's gardening. A lot of people think about gardening when it's springtime, but gardening, you can really start like pretty much any time of year. And so, yeah, this is a good time, good time to check it out and good time to get in before we, um, before we raise the price. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, what about the person says, can I really learn this kind of thing online? Like, you know, how, maybe how is this different from watching a bunch of YouTube videos or, you know, is there really any replacement for getting your hands in the soil or what have you? Well, from, from the feedback from students, like they have learned a ton and been able to apply what they're learning. And it's so different from YouTube videos because everything is here in one place. And like, it's like having someone like hold your hand and guide you through these different processes rather than having to like having to take all these different disjointed pieces and put them together. And the quality of the courses is really good. Like, I mean, we've watched a lot of YouTube videos on different things. So like partially because we're, we're interested in getting some guest teachers. So we're (laughs) looking around to see like whether we think someone is, is of a quality that we might want to reach out to them to do some guest teaching um, because we just want to have more diversity of different people teaching the classes and people from different places. But, um, but I think like we have a videographer, <laughs> a professional videographer, and he's really good at presenting the material in a way that you can see what's going on. Like, really clear way and the sound is really good and it's just put together to be pretty entertaining and I think all of those along with the fact that just everything is in one place to guide you through like you're not going to hit the stumbling blocks that you would if you were just accessing YouTube videos and yeah I mean I've been I've been like a lot of the information that we that we present like yes you can find it somewhere on the internet but it's not like put together in a way that's so easy to digest and that is presented in a way that is understandable and entertaining and fun (laughs) rather than it being a struggle. I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing. It's like we want to make gardening enjoyable and fun and lovely and not into something that we're struggling to do. Awesome. So, um, what about, like, so you're in North Carolina. We talked a little bit about regional variances. How, like, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I could just grow broccoli, you know, six months consecutively, and now I have to do it a totally mm-hmm. different way. What about people that don't yeah. live in your climate? Like, will this work for them? Yeah, that's a really good point. So right now, this year, we are filming things as they're happening in North Carolina. We do have, in the appendix, there's a really awesome planting chart. So you can figure out when you want to plant these different things and then just reference the videos that might be from a different month. But we're going to be revamping the program over the winter. And everyone who's bought now will still have access to this, like, newly improved product where we're taking the things like, for example, like 
we might be planting broccoli in, or we did plant broccoli in seed trays now in July. You might be planting them like in August or September. And so for the, for the course that's available for people who live in your bioregion, then you, we're going to like create a separate course that where those videos that we filmed for when we're planting broccoli would be moved to the time when you're planting broccoli. And so that's going to be like a pretty fun winter project is like shuffling around all the videos for the different places. And we have contacts in different bioregions to help better, you know, gardeners and farmers who are going to help us like decide where, when to put those different videos in different places. But that is going to make it like right now we have people who are in the gardening school who live in Alaska and who live in Florida and who live in, and who live in Maine and they're enjoying the course. We have more people who live in North Carolina or Northern California or the Pacific Northwest or Pennsylvania or New York, you know, who like what we're doing in North Carolina at any given point is pretty darn applicable for. Um, so I'd say that if you live in other regions, the foundational courses are super valuable. The appendix is super valuable. The bonus courses are super valuable. And the monthly courses, you kind of have to navigate through using the, using the planting calendar. But in, during the winter and before next spring, you would, if you have already, if you've got the course in 2020, then you will get the, um, the customized monthly videos for the spring of 2021. It's very cool. And, and just could you remind everybody where, because we've said it a few times, but just remind everybody where they can find this and all your other stuff that you do. Yeah, totally. It's wildabundance.net. And we do the online gardening school. We do the online hide tanning class. And then we have a lot of courses here, too. We offer a, um, an eight-month permaculture and earth skills immersion and that we're toying with doing some of that online too. So that's an exciting thing that might be coming. And then we do a lot of building classes. So we have a tiny house, the natural building class, and we have women's carpentry and women's advanced carpentry. And then we offer classes on wild crafting and herbalism and stuff like that too in person. And we have a lot of free online resources and videos that are pretty awesome like this summer planting class like it's like almost two hours of video content and then there's a 25 page course manual that goes with it and it's totally free and we have a lot of other similar freebies on our website too and if you sign up for our newsletter then you get all these fabulous things and our website also has a if you sign up for the newsletter there's a $50 coupon for your next class very cool. Well, hey, Natalie, I appreciate you being with us today on the air. And uh, anytime you want to come back, you know the, the drill. Fill out the form. We'll be always happy to have you back. Awesome. Well, I love, always love talking with you, Jack. I think it's been like almost 10 years since we spoke the first time or something. So yeah, it's been a while. It's been fun. Yeah. I think the first so, one was about Firefly, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And it was it was cool. I met some people at Firefly who had heard about it from your show that had come out from Idaho, actually. Wow. Yeah. Was, that's that's awesome. Cool. Well, again, I really yeah. appreciate you being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And it's fun to hear about your gardening experiences, too. It sounds like you have a lot of it. 
Well, I, I told you guys that would be a great interview. I, I really enjoy having Natalie around every time that she's on the show. I definitely recommend that you check out her course. Also, in the show notes, I have her Facebook uh, group available to you uh, for Wild Abundance, and I have their Instagram. I'd like to throw a little plug in here at the end, not just for today, but for any given day. If you don't use Instagram, obviously, don't go sign up for Instagram just to follow a guest. If you don't use Facebook, don't sign up for Facebook just to follow a guest. If you use Facebook or Instagram or any of this Twitter, any social media, one thing I have when my guests fill out a form is a place for them to enter all of that stuff. In the case of Natalie, she has Facebook and Instagram. That is all. Nothing follows. Um, but if they have YouTube, whatever. If you use those services and you hear a guest and you enjoy the guests, and you think, I want to know more about what this person does, please consider signing up for whatever social media you use and they have. Um, because if you do that, you know, it just it helps them, it helps you, and it helps build a presence. And every single subscriber, et cetera, in these social media things helps you get more. Uh, because po perceived popularity is popularity in, in, in the world of social media. So if you want to kind of help out a guest and you use the service they're on, just subscribe to them on it. And, and that's a real easy, zero-cost, five-second way to help out. Uh, on that note, follow us. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Um, it's a Jack Life on Instagram. I'm on MeWe, though I don't post there much. I'm on Parler. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and of course I have a YouTube channel, so consider subscribing to me as well, please. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, item of the day today is going to be very short, and the reason it's going to be very short is that today's item of the day is yesterday's item of the day. It's the Mora Companion Heavy Duty Fixed Blade Knife. Um, it went on sale yesterday for about $15. Bucks. This is a $25 knife on sale for $15. There's a, a light version of it that normally sells for $15. It's just not as good. And so right now, the expensive version is selling for the price of the cheap version. You could also look at it. I mean, it's so cheap, it's almost half price. So it's almost like a buy one, get one sale. Maybe pick two of them up. The thing about more is they have these great sales on either all their knives or a knife or two. They're not necessarily lightning deals where they're you know pre-scheduled for 24 hours on Amazon or whatever. But they don't last long. It'll be a day or two. Sometimes it's a whole week. But then they go away, and there's a lot of time in between them. This is one of the best low-cost knives in the market, Infinity. It is a great knife. Uh, yesterday I told you how to put a patina on a carbon steel blade. I really recommend that with any carbon steel blade. But it just, I, again, I'm going to say, $25, bucks. you go to a professional knife maker, you show them this knife, and they're like, they'll scoff a little because their knife looks better, right? They'll say, can you make that knife? They'll like, yeah, I can make it. Can you make that knife for $25? And they'll go, no. And you, I don't mean sell it for, can you make that knife yourself? Can you buy the material and put it together for $25? And I'll say no, let alone $15. It's a great knife at a great price, and it's cheap enough that if you loan it to somebody and they do some not-so-nice things to it, you won't get too upset. So they also make great gifts. Yeah, they make great gifts. I would be happy to receive one, and I even own a few already. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. Today's song of the day is... Uh, It's a really hard song to listen to if you've ever lost anybody to, to, uh, to drunk driving uh, or, or anything where some reckless party was involved. Um, but it's specifically about uh, drunk driving, and it's called actually Untitled. That's an, it's un it, there's no title, but everybody calls it How Could This Happen to Me? Because that's like the main line in it. It's by Simple Plan. And... Um, The lead singer of Simple Plan said that when he was in high school, a friend of his went out and got drunk with another person. So both of them were drunk, but he was the one driving, and they got in a wreck, and the, the, the driver survived, 
and the passenger, who was his best friend, died. And he had to live with that pain his entire life. And so the song is, again, how could this happen to me? And sometimes I think maybe we have a hard time with that because, well, you're the person that caused the problem would be one way to look at this. It's much broader than that in this song and in this video, which is an amazing video, and I'll get to it in a second. But even in situations like this, the person's grief and remorse matters, especially in the case that he's talking about. This wasn't some, you know, in the video it kind of is like a second passenger. It's like this this girl, she's driving, the guy's drunk and head-on collision and, and what happens in the song. But in the example of what inspired the song, these two people went out and got drunk together. They both fully well knew what they were doing. It was just as possible that the roles were reversed and the passenger was the driver. It was just as possible that the driver died and the passenger didn't. The mistake resulted in the pain. The mistake resulted in the pain. And that's important to understand. And I think it's one of those things where, like, this is why I'm really big on children having pets, as crazy as that sounds. And children taking care of livestock. And children experiencing the loss of a chicken or a dog or a cat. You might wonder how that's related. Well, when we have taken, like, humans and animals have coexisted as partners now for a very long time in our, in our, in our evolution. And it's become part of our genetic makeup in many ways. Dogs and humans, more than anything else, are, are linked at, at, at kind of a genetic level of ways that we interact. That if you take a wild canine that's never been part of that process like a wolf, you can train them sort of like a dog, but there are certain behaviors they will never exhibit because they haven't been part of that genetic interrelationship. So that, that, that's one piece of it. The other piece of it, though, is when I'm a, when I'm a kid and my dog that I grew up with dies. Yes, I have to deal with grief, but I also get a very important lesson. Death is forever. Death is final, and death happens, and death is real. And what happens to a lot, because like the, the, a third of teenagers who die in auto accidents are DUI-related, and often the teens themselves are the ones drinking. And as teens, we have this belief that we'll live forever. And one way you cure that belief, one way you cure that is for to see death. And it, it is better to see the death of an animal that simply ran out of time. When, when your dog is 15, 16 years old, 12 years old, depending on the breed, and, and it's time, it's time. That, that's not tragic. It hurts, but it's not tragic. There are deaths and there's tragic deaths. And not all deaths are tragic. Some deaths are natural. And it's their time. And when you, when you have a child that grows up understanding the permanence of death, the mistakes are far less likely to occur. Now, the actual beauty of the song and the full impact of the song, if you watch the video, it shows family members of the driver and the person that died and the grief they're dealing with. And there's a very slow motion, long frame, and they keep going back to it, of the two cars getting closer and closer and closer to head-on collision. And when the cars finally collide, instead of seeing the two people in the car tossed in the car, you see all of the people, wherever they are, in their homes, in their offices, whatever, that were connected, they're, they're tossed as though they were in the vehicle, like watching a crash test dummy without its seatbelt. One goes through the window of the house. One goes into the wall in a kitchen. Because when the wreck happened to those two people... On some level, at that moment, 
even though they weren't aware that it was at that moment. Their lives were forever in some ways torn apart, and they were broken, as was the young woman in the car who was killed, in very much the same way, except they survived to deal with their wounds. And if we start seeing things that way, and we can even take driving under the influence out of the equation for that and go much broader, there are actions that we take that when they go wrong, the consequences are far-reaching beyond just what they do to us, and they never go away. And in some cases, the result, if it be the death or severe injury of another person, is permanent. And the more we remember that, the more we make good decisions and do the best job as we live our, left, our best life and make the most of our dash. Because it's one thing to say, I want to make the most of my dash. It's another thing to look at it this way. I don't want to destroy it. If you're a young person, 15, 20 years old, 60, 70, 80 years ahead of you, the type of burden you do not want to carry for all those years. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I my eyes, I try to see, but I'm blinded by the white light. I can't remember how, I can't remember why, I'm lying here tonight, and I can't stand the pain, and I can't make it go. Try to make a sound, but no one hears me. I'm slipping off the edge, I'm hanging by a thread. I wanna start this over again. So I try to hold on to a time when nothing mattered and I can't. Could this happen to me? I've made my-